0: I don't know how you guys have been um, affected by the Sermon on the Mount. Um, It's been good for me. It's been, if I'm going to be honest, it's been hard for me. Um, You, therefore, are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And like Don said this morning... Compared to you yahoos, I'm all right. But against the bar of perfection, I'm not even close. And today, we're going to address a topic where I definitely am not even close to close. And it's prayer. Anybody ever pray before? If you've been with us this morning, you've prayed, right? We've prayed a few times, which is good. It should be in the regular rhythm of our lives. And I'm, I'm going to guess, I'm, I'm going to speak a prophetic word here this morning. Are you ready? We're going to pray in the future. I know, right? I know. Yeah, Write that down. Um, and I would guess that whether we call ourselves Christians or not here this morning, there's a tendency to some kind of communication with God, a higher power, something. There's something ingrained. It's like we're hardwired in the human psyche to call out to a being or beings greater than ourselves, either for help or even just for communion. Now, I'm not silly enough to believe that everybody everywhere always prays. But I'm fairly confident that the thought of it, the tendency toward it, has been in most people's minds at one time or another, even if the decision is not to pray. I'm never going to do that. Okay. But if you're a Christian, if you've been born again by the grace of God, prayer is at least a thing you should do. But really, what is prayer? How do you do it? Should you stand up, sit down, lay down? Open your eyes, close your eyes, do it silently, out loud, say certain words, use formulas, read books about it, read other people's prayers, pray for our food, our safety, our comfort. Yeah, but what's it look like? What is God's view on prayer? I'm not going to answer nearly all of those questions this morning. But Jesus has some very specific things to say to His disciples in our passage today. In our passage today is Matthew 6 verses 5 through 8. And so if you would, let's stand up so that we can respect, show respect for the very words of God that I'm going to read aloud from this section of the Sermon on the Mount, four verses. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Let's pray. Father, our Father, we come this morning to receive your word. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Teach us how you would have us to pray by the power of your Spirit today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Real quick recap, if you haven't been with us up till now. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. and Matthew 5, 6, and 7, make up what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is standing on a hill-ish area. And His presence makes it a mountain, by the way. That's what we've said before. And He's teaching His disciples what true righteousness is all about. And He's contrasting that righteousness with the external righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we worked our way through chapter 5 and now we're in chapter 6. We looked last week at what it means to give to the needy in a way that's not like the hypocrites who were looking for the applause of men. And they got it. And Jesus said they received their reward in full. But we're to give in a way that we don't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing when we do give to the needy. Today, our subject is, like we said before, prayer. And I, of all people, feel least qualified to preach this message, Um, which is good because... That means God's working on me too. So we're going to start in chapter 6, verse 5. There's a long verse, a lot to say here. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So our passage today starts with a continuation word. What's that word? First word. And, see, I give you all easy questions that you can answer easily. And, so this connects this thought with what we're going to look at today with the previous passage which we looked at last week, which was about practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And like we said last week, the focus was on giving to the needy. And this week, we look at the same thought. We look at the same thought pattern which is practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And we're talking about the realm of prayer. Like giving to the needy, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. And we said those hypocrites meant play actors, those who wear a mask, but are really someone else behind that mask. It is to be real. And when we're talking about prayer, note that the statement here, like it was with giving to the needy, is when you do it, not if you do it. This is not an option. Jesus assumes His followers will be praying. And what is praying? Praying is petitioning and talking to God. And prayer is as old as mankind. When Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, what do you think they did? Just took in the sights, silently, they were conversing with God. They were communing with God in conversation, in activity. Did they laugh? I think they did. I think there was joy there. I think there was an overflow as God instructed them and taught them and loved on them. And they returned that and that communication is prayer. And then sin came in and that contact, that, that conversation was not direct anymore but rather it became a calling out to, a calling upon God. And that's how this communication will continue for God's people until we're with Him face to face in eternity. Jesus says to His disciples that when they talk to God, don't be a hypocrite. Be real. Don't be like the hypocrites. Why? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now we saw that the hypocrites like to trumpet their giving in the synagogues and the streets. And now we see that they do the same thing in their praying. Now be clear. Hear me say this. Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't pray in the synagogues or the streets. He's just saying you shouldn't be like the hypocrites who seek men's attention in doing so when they're in the synagogues and the streets. I mean, we see Jesus praying out loud. We see Him praying in crowds, in the public, in front of others. So this is not condemning public prayer. But it is clearly condemning public prayer for the purpose of being praised by people. That's alliteration, y'all. That's a lot of Ps. By the way, our application points are Ps this morning. But... So He is clearly condemning public prayer for the purpose of being praised by people. And actually, even when Jesus says streets here, He says street corners. And that's a different word than He used when talking about the public giving. Here, the word implies a main street, a bigger, wider street where there would be the opportunity for more people to be around. The hypocrites love to stand and pray in the public places of worship and in the broad main street corners. Where they can be seen by more eyes than anywhere else. Now, just imagine that picture. Imagine going, I don't know, what's a busy intersection? Um, I don't know. Uh, where uh, 16 and 19 meet down there, Robert C. Byrd and Eisenhower Drive, right there at that red light. And they've got that pavement there. Sometimes people campaign there. Could you imagine going out there, straightening up your clothes? Father! As these pagans pass me today, I pray that your wrath would be poured out upon them. I'm just—that's kind of overboard. Yeah, that's true. You'd be looking at those pretty high country model jacked up things. Yeah. So just get that picture. This is busy intersection, and they go there on purpose so that people will see them praying. Now some people beat up the Pharisees for their posture as well saying Jesus is implying that they shouldn't stand and pray but this was common practice for the Jews. They stood when they prayed a lot. Nothing wrong with standing, nothing wrong with praying in public or out loud but it is clearly wrong to do it all so that other people will see you and talk about how great your prayer was. Praying for the praise of men is seeking reward from them. And Jesus says that those who do such a thing have thus received the reward that they were seeking. But that's it. And if praying is petitioning and speaking to God, asking Him to do what only He can, asking Him to get glory for those things, then what reward can men possibly give us? But this kind of prayer is not for God, nor is it for His glory. It's to hear people talk about how great and good and high And holy they were. And Jesus says you must not pray like that. You must not pray like that or for that purpose. If you want more than the attention and affection of man, there's a different, more right way to pray. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we started the last verse with a continuation thought. And here we've got a contrastive conjunction which goes against what was said just previously. So he's saying they've received their reward because they're out there praying in public and men say, yay, you are a good prayer. But they have received their reward. But when you pray... Again, note it's when you pray, not if. Do what? Now listen, Jesus is going to be very specific here. Very plain, very specific. He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. So you should always read your Bible with the mentality of if you see a list, note that. And here we have a list of three things Jesus says to do when you pray. What are they? Count with me. Go into your room. Come on. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now that list may not seem like a big deal, but what's the point here? The prayer that Jesus is calling for here is just you and God. So go into your room, shut the door, separate yourself from everybody else and pray to your Father in secret. This is not performance prayer. This is not corporate prayer. This is not praying with someone else. This is you in your room with the door shut praying to God. Now let me ask you something. Do you purposefully spend time alone in your room with the door shut praying to God? You say, well, that's just not how I do it. What did He just say? Well, things are changed. Everything's different. I've got this wide open place. What did He just say? We can justify. We can change it. We can say, well, that's not the way my life is structured. And Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now that's very specific and purposefully specific. This convicts me. Now to be clear, there are no time markers here. This is not the sweet hour of prayer or the night long vigil or whatever. But first of all, let me ask you, is it happening at all? And is it a priority for you? Because Jesus is clearly prescribing solitary, private, purposeful prayer for His followers. And we can find a multitude of excuses as to why it's not happening in our lives. We're too busy. We don't have time. We don't know how to pray. We aren't good prayers. We would rather pray with other people. We fall asleep and on and on and on ad nauseum. But Jesus is without a doubt saying here that when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Remember that word secret is cryptos and it means concealed or hidden. How often do you obey Jesus' clear command and teaching here? I again am very convicted. I'll pray in the car or on the go, or with my wife, surely not enough here either. Or when we go to bed, or when we sit down to eat, or whatever. And those aren't bad. Those aren't wrong. But Jesus is not prescribing any of those here. Jesus is saying to make sure you are praying to God in your room with the door closed in the privacy and secret of a solitary meeting. And it surely seems to be clearly inferred here, that this is not for show either, because we can show out for God too, can't we? Here I am, God. Here I am. Are you ready? Because I'm going to pray today. Look at me. I'm on my knees. God, you've got to listen to me now. And God's going, yeah, yeah. This is not for show. It's also not something that, like you would announce to everybody, I'm going into my prayer closets. Everyone keeps silence while I pray to God in secret by myself, in the room with the door closed for as long as I choose to pray. This is not about you announcing this. You should not have to tell people that you've been praying in secret. Actually, I think if we're actually doing this and it's working in our lives, people are going to know. They're going to see it to the point that you don't have to tell them. If you're broadcasting this type of prayer, guess what? You've just made your private prayer public knowledge. And you probably did it with the hope of getting public praise. And if your goal was public praise, guess what you get? You get public praise. That's all. But listen to me. You're like, Dag on, man, just kick me. You know? Listen to me. God has something better for you than public praise. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now note that. God both notices... And reward secret prayer. He sees it. He is your Father who sees in secret. Now we know God sees everything. But hear that. God sees you praying in secret. God's vision sees you when you are shut in your room praying to Him. And what does He do when He sees this? He will reward you. Now did you catch that? God sees you and He will reward you. That word reward is an accounting term. It's apodidomi. And it is translated a few different ways in the Bible. This is reward. It can be translated as pay, give, render, sell, yield, and reward. It means to pay off, to discharge what is due, to pay a debt, to give wages, to give what is owed. And here in our passage today, God sees your obedience. He sees your work, He sees your effort, and He rewards you. You say, well, what about grace? Well, praise God for grace. But trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And when we obey, listen to me. We talked about it last week. God rewards And what does He reward this work of prayer with, this private secret prayer? Well, part of what He rewards us with is His very presence. Remember, you are praying to whom? You are praying to your Father who is in secret. You see, God's there. And He is part of the reward that you receive when you pray in secret. His presence, His listening is part of the reward. We talk in our culture today about... uh, getting audience with somebody important. Oh, they're going to listen to me. Congressman, heads of state, officials, your boss, they're going to listen. They they told me to come talk to them. They're going to listen to what I have to say. Listen, God is going to listen to you. God is going to hear what you have to say. So He listens, which is part of the reward. But that's not all. If God hears our prayer there in secret, it would seem right that His reward is answering those prayers. Right? If He sees and hears and rewards that work, what better reward is there than to give what we ask? But be careful here. This is not about getting just anything you want. This is not going into the secret place to petition for your wants and desires. We'll see this more clearly next week when we cover verses 9 through 15, which a lot of people call the Lord's Prayer. It's a better title to call it the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus taught His disciples to pray that way. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17, a priestly prayer. You're like, why do you you care about that stuff, Jason? I don't know. I just do, okay? Get off my back. (laughs) So we'll see more clearly next week what to pray for and how to pray. Because he says, when you pray, pray this way. That's next week. But remember, this is about our good. But it's about our good through God's glory. And when we pray for God to be glorified, for God to have His way and do His will, you can guarantee, absolutely, Positively guarantee that God is going to reward or recompense those prayers. Amen. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will. Now Jesus turns His address about prayer away from the religious, self-pious, self-important Jews and He focuses instead now on the prayer patterns of another group of people. This is pretty interesting. Look at this. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now remember, the disciples of Jesus were not living in a world that was only Jewish. Now they were living in Israel, but it was occupied Israel. The Romans were occupying them. And the Romans that occupied Israel at that time were patently pagan to the Jewish mind. The Romans had their gods and their efforts to earn favor for themselves by appeasing these fabricated powers that be. And they did that through a plethora of ways as they tried to appease those gods. They had festivals. They had sacrifices. They had orgies. And of course, they prayed. It was very common for a good Roman citizen to visit a temple of whatever God they were needing to approach and pray to that deity there. Everybody remember when we went to the Ray Vanderlaan thing, the video, and it showed them going to the temple of, uh, in Delphi, I think it was, and they would walk miles and miles and miles and they would bring their petition, hoping that they would be heard. And the way that they prayed, which Jesus addresses here, was to heap up empty phrases. Let me explain that. This is, this is really neat. Robert Munts a commentator, explains it this way. The word used to describe the prayers of the pagans is bata logeo, which occurs nowhere else in the New Testament or in secular literature of the day. It is probably an onomatopoeic. Now, what's that mean? Onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like buzz, right? Okay, Bark. Meow. So the word says what the thing sounds like. So he's saying that it's probably this word batalageo is an onomatopoeic word constructed by way of analogy with the better known batarizo, which means to stammer or stutter. He goes on to say, "...behind the word is the practice of the heathen who developed long lists of divine names." hoping that by endless repetition they would somehow invoke the name of the true God and receive what they wished. Let me read that again. Behind the word is the practice of the heathen who developed long lists of divine names, hoping that by endless repetition they would somehow invoke the name of the true God and receive what they wished. Now, can you see this scene? You got these people in these pagan temples, and they're hoping to reach out and find the right God. So they just start rattling off God's names, and it had to sound like stammering, stuttering, just saying words over and over again. Don Barber Matthew, Don Barber Matthew, Don Barber. We will, uh, Janetta, Don Barber Matthew, Janetta, Don Barber Matthew, Janetta. Hannah, Don Barbara Matthew, Janetta Hannah. And so it's just names over and hoping that the, they say the right one and they wake up up there going, oh, hey, wait, what, what? What? Oh, he said my name. A desperate Roman at a temple sounding like an auctioneer. Hey, the right name, there it is, there it is, in the right way, not really knowing what to say or how to say it and just rattling off noises, made up words, and maybe if they're lucky, saying a name right along the way. And it could surely be a lengthy process. So they would babble and babble and babble on some more, hoping their very effort would impress the deity as well. Wow, he's been praying for three days. Dude, ain't going to stop. Somebody answer this guy. I mean, really. He's just getting on my nerves. He might say my name. I don't want that. Somebody go help this guy. But aren't we guilty of this too? So many times, praying to hear ourselves pray. Saying the same thing over and over and over and over. You get my point, right? Or maybe we just repeat the same old thing without even thinking about what we're saying. Anybody learn rote prayers as a kid? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, creepy, I give the Lord my soul to take. Amen. And then at mealtime, God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for our food. That doesn't rhyme. By His hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. So growing up, and that's not wrong, it's not wrong. But it did become mindless after a while. It was my fault. So at mealtime, if I was called upon to pray or my sister was called upon to pray, that was the prayer we prayed. And at night, I made sure I prayed that in case I did die. And God knew it was okay to take my soul. That's good. We're good with that. Amen. Or maybe you know somebody who when they're asked to pray, they just say the same thing. Every time. Like you could recite it for them. You're like, Brother Jason, will you pray? Jason's going to say, thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, God, that you have blessed us with his multitude of blessings. God bless our way so that we may know that as we go our way, you are with us. Amen. Or those people that just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray when they get called upon in public. You know those people, too. They're like, no, don't ask. Oh, yes, are you kidding me? Ah, jeez. And we should surely check our own hearts here in all this. But so many times our prayers are perfunctory and repetitious and they're empty words, heaping up phrases, thinking God will hear us for those many words and those empty phrases. And we think, or at least hope, that God will hear us for our many words. And Jesus says here, that's how the pagans do it. And you should not pray like they pray. Empty phrases, many words. That's not God's prescription for our prayers. Their motives are to get what they want, what they think they need, but not us, not God's people, not our prayers. That's not the source or the goal. So let's go to our last verse for the day, if this thing will cooperate with me. Let me go to six 6.8. There we go. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus says unequivocally that His disciples are not to be like those Gentiles who heap up empty phrases. Do not be like them. Why? This is huge, people. Listen to this. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Hmm. Now say what? Keep in mind, Jesus is juxtaposing His followers up against the Gentiles here, the non-Jews of the day. They again went to the gods for what they needed and or wanted for their own reasons or purposes. I need a good crop this year. Being Jupiter, whoever. I need a crop to feed my family and I really would like to buy that new ox. I don't know. They went for what they needed and or wanted for their own purposes or purposes. Reasons And these gods were known to be pretty self-serving themselves. Even pleasure-centered, these gods were. So the prayers of the mortals could surely be seen as at least an inconvenience or maybe even intrusive in their divine agendas. While these gods may have been involved in the processes around these people, they were really just hoping that there would be some appeasement, some benefit for their otherworldly lives in what the ones praying for what they could bring them but you don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him now remember our father is in the secret place with us and here our father knows what we need before we ask him he sees he hears He rewards and He knows. Listen to those two words. He knows. And that's really good news. He is your Father and He knows what you need even before you ask Him. So some of you are smart people and you're going, so then why pray? If He knows, why pray? Why bother asking? Because He told us to. Prayer, listen to me, is not about sharing new information with God. Like you're giving Him a briefing to start or end your day. Okay, God, this is what happened today. Okay, God, this is what I'll be doing today. Just so you know, and you can prepare your divine agenda as, you know, in line with what I need and want today. No, you're not a carrier pigeon dropping news from the front to an unsuspecting bystander. No, God is moving the pieces. We said that last week too. And God is bringing all of history including my life, my needs, and my wants to a glorious conclusion that includes my good. So I pray to get in on the info myself. Prayer is how God shapes me to know and accept His will. He knows that will. And I don't. Not perfectly. I don't know how it exactly works into my life. So I pray. I ask God for what I want and I watch to see how He answers that prayer. And He does answer our prayers one way or another. Some of you are going, oh yeah, here's that thing. Sometimes He answers yes. Sometimes He answers no. Sometimes He answers not yet. So I go into my room, I shut the door, and I ask God in secret for help. I ask Him for healing. I ask Him for deliverance, answers, guidance, or whatever. And I do that with my main focus being His glory. And then live my life by the power of His Spirit and see what answer comes as a result of God rewarding my secret prayer and my obedience. God, will you please give me this job? Please, God, if it is your will, let me land this job. And the interviewer calls you at 10 a.m. and says, Sorry, we filled the position. Well, God didn't answer my prayer. Yes, He did. Clearly. God, will you give me this job? No, I will not. Or maybe that's a not yet. Maybe they'll see what they don't have when somebody messes up and then they call you back. But at that moment the answer is no. It's not bad. It's not what? It's not a bad answer. It's not a bad answer. And right. Listen. Your father sees your secret praying and he will punish you for it. No. He will reward you for it. He will reward you for it. And listen to me, He knows what you need even before you ask. So if the answer comes as no, you receive it as His reward. And Him knowing what you need. Don't be like the pagans who may or may not hear from their God. Don't be like the Gentiles who are only concerned with their needs and wants. Don't pray like those with no hope. Don't hopelessly hope. Like an orphan who has no provider or family. Your father knows what you need. And he loves and cares for you. You don't have to heap up empty words. You don't earn favor with God on a per word basis. We don't do that with those we love and who love us. If I talking too much, my family's probably going to say, dude, can you just be quiet? You don't have to talk so much. Okay. We don't do what we do when we're doing things with and for those we love to earn their favor, either words or deeds. And it's the same thing with God. Your Father knows, so pray. What a passage, and we've just barely scratched the surface. But we've got to move to application because the clock tells me that. And we do have three Ps. We three Ps of Orient are bringing you application. We've traveled so far. I'm, I'm guessing you could probably guess the first application point starts with P. It might be pray. Okay, okay. So that's the first application point. The second is purpose not proposed, but purpose. And the last one is Papa. Papa don't preach. No. Pray, purpose, Papa. So pray is our first application point. I mean, we can't overlook that this passage is about praying, right? And what do we learn from this passage about prayer? Well, we learn a few things. We see some things we should do. We see some things we shouldn't do, right? And first and foremost, we see that we are to pray. We mentioned this earlier, but it's worth noting again. Jesus' statement was, when you pray, in verses 5, 6, and 7. So it's not a matter of if, but when. So we are to pray. And how are we to pray? First, from this passage, it's clear that we are to pray in secret, in our room, with the door closed to our Father. You say, what if I don't close the door? He said close the door, okay? (laughs) This is not difficult. Well, I don't think I should have to close my door. (laughs) And again, this is not to the exclusion of praying in public. It's not to the exclusion of praying with others out loud at meals or at night or whenever. No, we should be doing all of those. But we should not be doing all of those to the exclusion of praying in secret in our room with the door closed closed. To our Father. I don't need to pray today because I've already prayed for my meal. Or I don't need to pray today. I don't need to go in my room and pray in secret because, well, I prayed with so-and-so. Or we prayed at church like ten times. No, pray in your room with the door closed to your Father who sees in secret. And pray all those other ways too. It's both and. And this is to be a desired duty in our lives leading to joy and privilege, knowing that God Himself is both the grand instigator and the grand rewarder of this whole process. And the New Testament is replete with commands to pray. Luke 18.1, if we can get that up there. Thank you. And He told them, He being Jesus, them being the disciples, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Luke 21.36 but stay awake at all times, Jesus says, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Romans twelve twelve through thirteen. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Without just twelve is all we're reading there. Sorry. And then Ephesians six eighteen through twenty. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, the end of praying. Keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Colossians 4, two. continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And the most common, most familiar one is 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says you should pray without ceasing. Now you can't pray without ceasing in your room with the door shut to your father in secret. I get that. But there are plenty, plenty of opportunities in the Bible that show us that we are to pray. And here, Jesus says to do it a specific way. Don't pray like the hypocritical religious people who are out on the busy street corners hoping somebody will pat them on the back and say, man, that was powerful. And don't be like the lost Gentiles who are just... Don't pray that way. So pray. Purpose. So why pray then? What's the purpose of prayer? We mentioned earlier that God knows what we need before we ask it, right? And we looked in that section that God is more interested in teaching us about Himself and His will through our praying than He's actually trying to understand what we want. Now, what did you say you wanted again? I'm I'm, I'm writing this down so I don't forget. That's not how God operates, y'all. He knows both what we want and what we need. So why pray then? Well, first of all, it's clear from today that we are surely not to pray for public praise. Prayer is not to be used as a tool to get compliments from people who think we are so spiritual because of the words or tone we use when we pray in the presence of other people. And this is a big temptation. There are people who won't pray out loud or won't pray in public for anything. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I know that there are those who try to impress others with their praying. And it's clear from today's passage that that is wrong for sure. Now, if you pray and somebody compliments it, that doesn't make you wrong. It's about, did you pray for that reward? Did you pray for them to say, man, I ain't never heard anybody pray like you, man. That is awesome, man. If you're doing it for that reason, it's wrong. That's what the hypocrites do. And Jesus says plainly that we are not to be like them. So be wary of praying out loud in public because it can be a temptation to perform. So that's one thing... One purpose not to go after. Another reason, another purpose that's not a purpose or reason to pray is to pray for our own goals and schemes. And what I mean by that is that we are not to make our prayer life about only what we want or desire. We should bring these things to God for sure, but prayer is not a grocery list or a Christmas wish list that we fill out and bring to God with our orders. God loves to give good gifts to His children. But He knows what we need and what we want even better than we do. So we come to Him and ask Him to purify our hearts, to purify our minds, even our emotions, so that these things line up with Him and His purposes, which brings us to our ultimate purpose in prayer. Listen to me. This is easy. This is simple math. We pray ultimately for one thing. It's the glory of God. That's the purpose of prayer. And we'll dive into this much more next week. But Jesus, when Jesus teaches His disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, He says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the purpose, the primacy of our prayers is to be about God. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, God's glory. And Godward secret prayer is the command of God and the pleasure of the disciple. We pray then not because we want God to do things for us, but because we want God to be glorified in and through us. Our prayers become less and less about us and more and more about God. And yes, we will pray for us and for our loved ones and for our desires, but we will filter those things through the person and the plan of God. He is the purpose of our prayers. You're not praying to perform for Him. But you're praying because you want Him, His presence, His reward, His love, His grace to be poured into you and out through you so that the world sees Him through you. So then let your righteous deeds be done before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are therefore to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect as you image forth Him. And you go into the secret place asking God to do that. And it's good. He is the purpose of our prayers and for good reason. Pray, purpose. The last one is Papa. Listen to me. God is our Father. Now we hear this, we say this, we know this. And I'm afraid it's to the point of being numb to it, that we're numb to it. But understand this, church. If you are a Christian, if you have been born again by the grace of God, God has adopted you. God has adopted us as His people into His family where He is our Father and we are His children. This is dramatic and this is powerful if we will properly understand and implement this, especially in our praying. Now listen to me. What Jesus is saying here, not just today, but in the Sermon on the Mount overall, is startling. It's dramatic. Fifteen times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to God as Father, your Father, your Father, your Father, your Father. Father. Fifteen times. You do not see that in the whole Old Testament. Fifteen times. And here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and like we'll see all through the New Testament, Jesus is telling His disciples to call God Father. Again, we're on this side of the cross. We're 2,000 years past this. But when Jesus was saying it, it was revolutionary. It was relational. This was not being obedient to some angry deity. This was a relationship with somebody who wants to be your father. I would say it was to the point of scandalous for Jesus to say this. First of all, for Him to call God Father made Him equal with God. We saw that in the Gospel of John way back when. And so they picked up stones to stone Him because if you're God's Son, you're God. And you're not God. He was. But then He went even further, past the scandal, and He made it something precious to the disciples when He said, call God your Father. It's one thing for the Son of God, the living incarnate Word, to call God Father. But then He tells us, you call Him your Father. The Pharisees had to be enraged and the sinners had to be going, What? God? My Father? They had to, be, had to be seeing this ray of hope that they'd never seen before. God! Yahweh! The One who had parted the Red Sea. The One who had thundered amid smoke and thunder and lightning on Sinai. The High Holy One who dwells in unapproachable light was making it clear that His perfect plan involved adopting children and loving them as their father. And when we get into this model prayer next week that Jesus gives His disciples in the verses that follow our passage today, how does Jesus instruct them to pray? The very first words are, Our Father. Knowing God as your Father is absolutely necessary if you are going to pray. Why? Because we have to know that He is for us and that He gives good gifts to His children. Especially when things don't go the way we want them to. I mentioned this verse last week, but listen to it again, especially in light of praying. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure... To give you the kingdom. I'm going to read that again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Whose good pleasure is it to give us the kingdom? It's our Father's good pleasure. Now don't go equating God to your earthly father. Some of you don't even know your earthly father. As good or as bad as your earthly father is or was, God is not Even good ones. God's not that. God is completely other. God is the perfect standard for what a father should look like. God is better than good. And there's no bad in Him. And knowing this, we come because we know Him. We come because we love Him and we know that as our father adopted into his family, we have the rights of sonship. We are His children and it is His good pleasure to give us His kingdom and His kingdom is what's best for us. And we praise and we petition Him in light of this. Not like some far away indistinct deity who may or may not listen to our desires but rather as our loving, good, perfect Father. But the New Testament does not stop at Father even to the point of Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of... It all comes back to Romans 8, doesn't it? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That word, Abba, the best way we can translate it is Daddy. It is intimate. It is personal. It is Daddy. You say, well, I've never called my father Daddy. You can call God Daddy. Like a little child climbing up on his daddy's knee and saying, Daddy, not irreverent, not disrespectful, but intimate and personal. The Spirit of God Himself moves us to cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption is sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But that's not the only place it says it. Galatians 4, 1-6. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave... Though He is the owner of everything, but He's under guardians and managers until the date set by His Father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father... So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You say, well, then Daddy's going to give me what I want. Absolutely. And Daddy's going to conform your wants to what He wants as well. We see this very concept in the life of Jesus as He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before His crucifixion, in the worst of all circumstances, Mark 14, 36. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, in this hour of greatest need, cried out to who? He cried out to Abba. He cried out to His Father. And in that moment he asked for deliverance and at the same time asked for God's will to be done. That is what it means to pray to God as our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. We want what we want and we ask Him for it and we also make it clear that we want His will. Whatever that may be, even if it is not the same as what we ask for. Why? Because we know He loves us and has our best in mind as He promotes and shows His glory to us and through us. When we know Him as a good, loving, perfect Father, when we call Him Daddy, our prayers are prayers of trust and love, not bitterness or resentment. Listen to me, church. He is for us. And he weeps with us as he walks with us through the hard and the bad, knowing that his good pleasure is to share his kingdom with us. So pray. Pray to your Father in secret, not heaping up empty words and phrases hoping to possibly be heard. Pray confidently and boldly, pray lovingly and passionately, pray intimately looking to your daddy to reward you with his glory, with his kingdom, which is our best good. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, whatever. What is all this rubbish? God is father. You don't know my father. I don't. But I know this one. And the Bible tells me that God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son to come and die on a cross to bear the punishment for your sins, for my sins. So that He could remove the obstacle of the wrath that He feels and will show against us. He removes that obstacle by punishing our sins in the body of His perfect Son. And then He says, come and receive forgiveness. We're all sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And God invites sinners to come and have their sins forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ who was God in the flesh, who died a death that He did not deserve so that we could receive the gift of eternal life which we do not deserve. And the only way to receive that gift is through faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit moves in and makes you cry out, Abba, Father. When you realize that He has forgiven you and loves you like the best daddy. The perfect daddy. If you don't know Him this morning, if you don't know Him as your father, you just need to come and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness and I believe I have that forgiveness in and through Jesus. Will you save me? Will you adopt me into your family? Let's pray. God, this is not a condemning word at all. It is a convicting word. But God, would you convict us as your people to pray? in our rooms, with the doors closed, praying to you, Father, in secret, knowing that you will reward us. Knowing you as our Father. And the purpose of it all being your glory in and through our lives. And God, if there are those here today who do not know you, The gospel is your power into salvation for everybody who believes. So we trust your spirit to convict and to draw and to breathe life into dead people. That's your work. May we go forth from this place different than when we came in. And may it show in our actions. May it show in our attitude towards you, God. May we know you as our daddy. And may we be eager to talk to you alone as much as we can. There's no prescription here, God, for what day or what time or how to do this. But God, may it be our intense desire to do this. Fix our hearts, fix our affections, our emotions, God, so that we want the right thing. And help us to do the right thing by the power of your Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a benediction. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Stay and eat with us if you can.